Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Chicago Underground Duo was founded in 1997 and consists of two very notable musicians, Rob Mazurik and Chad Taylor. When asked to describe their work together, they once suggested their music is, quote, an organic mixture of African, electronic, coloristic, jazz-influenced, life-supporting, systematic, non-systematic feeling from two humans trying ever to expand outward and inward for the people and ourselves, end quote. What more could you want in a description of a musical outfit than that? It covers everything. It's amazing. They're amazing. These two guys, their seventh album, it came out in uh, 2014 via Northern Spy Records. It's called Locus. And Chicago Underground Duo played the 2016 Guelph Jazz Festival this past September, which is when we caught up together for a conversation inside one of the studios at CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph, Ontario. I love these people as players and as people. So here it is. Here's myself with Chad Taylor and Rob Mazurik of Chicago Underground Duo. Gentlemen, it's nice to have you back in Guelph. It's a pleasure to be here. Great, great to be here. It's a nice town, right? Like you've been, you've traveled around the world. What what strikes me about Guelph every time I come, it's a very friendly city. So it's you know, everyone's willing to help you out and give you directions and point you in the right direction, give you money, 
give you hamburgers. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Did somebody give you a hamburger just yeah. out of nowhere? Yeah. That's well, well, when we were here last time with Sao Paulo Underground, we were walking down the street, very hungry, looking for a place. Then all of a sudden there was a church gathering with people uh, grilling food. They looked at us. Maybe we looked a little haggard or something. They could tell you were hungry. They could tell we were hungry. They're like, come on in here and have some burgers. And I'm like, yeah, oh, okay. No, it's all free. Come on in and have burgers. Yeah. And Rob, that, that was a shelter. Oh, that's maybe that was that's what it was. That was people in need who... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're just supposed to go in and have the free burgers if I you're did, you know, able to get one yourself. We They asked us, so... Uh, you know, I guess you're not going to say no if someone asks you if you want a hamburger. I guess not. I don't know. Yeah, I, we just went right in there. They were, they really took care of us too. But that's. Does he spend the night there too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they gave us a cot <laughs> and a towel. But it was, they were really nice. <laughs> it's a nice town. Yeah. I've you've played all over the world, and I assume you've played in big cities and small cities. Does Guelph rank? highly on that list of or rather that's not my question my question is are there many cities small cities like Guelph that you've played as musicians yeah I would say there are a lot of cities small cities that uh you'd be surprised they have a great uh you know festival yeah um we played one recently in what was that place we played in uh, oh, Peter, Peter, Petersburg Peterborough yeah Peterborough New, New Hampshire Oh, there's a Peterborough in Ontario. It's yeah. actually thought of as like the sister city of Guelph. Right. So Very similar. There's a Peterborough, New Hampshire as well. And uh, yeah. Small town. Small town. They had a wonderful festival. People Great audience. Of course it was, you know, I think it, they've only had the festival a couple of years, so they're developing something. What's great about here is that with Ajay and Julie and everybody doing this for so long, they, they have a... They seem to have it down to a science on how to how to make everything work and really comfortable and beautiful for the musicians and for the for the audience. Yeah, it's 23 years of this festival now, and you guys have played. We were trying to figure this out yesterday. Like you played as far back as like 20 years ago, maybe. Maybe 2001 or something. That's something what like I remember. But there's Dad seems to think you were here before that. Uh, maybe. Remember the time we played in the basement? That wasn't our first time uh, playing here. It was an amazing show. The duo show at the in Mitchell Hall, as I recall. I was at that show. Probably. But I think no. you might have been here before that. Yeah, I think we were. We've been come for a long time, and it's, you know, yeah, it's an amazing place. So is it, has it, is that progressed over the time that you've been making music, that these smaller markets are the homes of these amazing, you know, challenging music festivals? I think it has happened. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, people just really appreciate the music more in the the smaller cities because they don't get the opportunity to to have a lot of stuff come through. And, uh, you know, so that over time people realize, oh, wait a second, we can actually build this and and make it something. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think in Europe, too, you see that a lot. These, like, little small towns with these amazing uh, jazz festivals. Yeah, and they're so passionate about it you know and it's a small group of people bringing people in internationally and you know and then w- what's been happening a lot with the big festivals i think <laughs> is that uh they're becoming more conservative and in, in their programming i'm not even talking musically but just they want a sure sure thing mm-hmm. like they want to know 
all the tickets are going to be sold. It's going to be sold out. So they always are going for the uh, the safe bet. And it's also weirdly not necessarily. I mean, I think of jazz as this very open-ended concept, but over the last twenty years, you know, he he passed away. But I would see BB King on these lineups for jazz festivals, or I would see the Roots playing a jazz festival, and yeah. certainly there are elements of what I consider to be jazz within their music. But I always find that a little weird. Yeah, and sure. and and I think that's where you're coming from with the sure bet. Thing. I mean, who is a yeah. sure bet in the world of jazz? Right, like an actual jazz artist right now. I don't even, I can't think of that right now. But I know that there's. It's always like a a blues artist or like a hip hop artist is that even we had Kid Koala, which the jazz aspect of it may be a little nebulous. I don't know. What did you yeah. make of that? He he followed your show last night, and it was. I thought it was great. I mean, the way he plays is, is so wide-ranging, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, of course, it has elements of everything. And, and I think we're, rather than talking about jazz, we're just talking about creative music. Right. You know, so the creative music thing is definitely um, there, and it's seemingly what um, Ajay has been doing for years is, you know, leading more towards people that are, you know, c- creating an environment for uh, something different and possibly new to happen. You know, so to have Kid Koala and, and along with you know Marion Trudell and, and Myra Melford or Hamid or uh, you know all these different people come in, um, I think it's essential. You know, it has to be like that. What's well, a big narrative uh, about music festivals and arts festivals is keeping not only maintaining your audience but building the audience, right? Exactly. Yeah, and that's I think why these things are done. Mm-hmm, also, yeah. open. Uh, the, uh, I think. From what I know of Ajay, and what, when when I program something, I always have this notion of like I will book something that people know, so that they're exposed to the things they don't know. Right. right. So you do you find yourself in those situations a lot? At times, yeah. We we've definitely at times have been in situations like that. I mean, that's another reason why. Well, think about how we first got started. We used to to open up for um, Stereo Lab, hmm. but you know it was a well-known group in the '90s, and that was you know it was great exposure for us because all of a sudden we forced people who would have not normally given us a chance <laughs> to <laughs> listen to some yeah, uh, some different stuff, you know. Yeah, that's totally true. Sure. And there is like I mean, you two I think have both uh, traveled through this. You you have connections to like indie rock, so to speak, and there was a time, and I think it still exists, that where the notion of indie rock seemed as open ended and as welcoming as what I conceived of as jazz. Right. You know, really encouraging variety and and uh, an open mind. Um, Has that died at all? Because I think sometimes people are. We're at a point where like. I don't know. I, I feel <laughs> kind of lost culturally sometimes in terms of what's working, what isn't working, what's effective and what isn't. Do you guys think about those things? I, I, I don't really know. I mean, the thing, I feel, uh, you know, just getting older and, and uh, you know, family, kids, and I, I don't really know the indie thing. I don't even know what that means anymore. Yeah, as I don't know. That, a, that's just it. I don't know that it necessarily exists. It became codified yeah, yeah. and it became the genre signifier. But what is it? It used to mean like a, a perspective, like a way of right, doing things, right? right? I, th- I, th- I think it certainly still exists. Um, but it's, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that, man. Right, right. It does get culturally a little, a little washed out. What's, what's what, you know? Yeah. But maybe that's a beautiful thing because it's becoming um, more and more difficult to put a name to something. So, so speaking with, with festivals and tours, I mean, we've always played jazz clubs, rock clubs, you know, electronic music festivals. You know, all sorts jazz of jazz museums, alternatives, uh, you know, venues, uh, galleries, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and uh, the openness f- f- for people to uh, take this stuff in is, I think, a- as large as it's ever been, you know. Um, I think. But, but, uh, well, um, I mean, I think a, a big change, I mean, again, this, a lot of this has to do with just getting older. But you really want to emphasize that you're older now. No, it's just you know I just try, I'm trying to Chad be realistic. So like when we were playing in the '90s, you know we were at the right place at the right time, whatever. We had a lot of people coming to shows who, you know, might not necessarily be uh, jazz fans. You know, they were just coming to like check stuff out, and we were actually able to build an audience from young people just wanting to, to check out music. Yeah. And not not just us, Vandermark, Ken Vandermark did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed, especially like being in New York for 20 years, what has changed is a lot of people that they don't even understand, they, they've never experienced that. They're artists who their whole audience is built on who critics say, you know, right. they should check this out, oh, or yeah, right. it's all music students who come to the gigs. Right. They don't even, they don't understand that that experience. Maybe because of social media and all that, you can, you know, it's becoming more and more condensed. But, I mean, it speaks to the fact that you two have had a broad social network, right? Like, you, you have been open to playing with different people as soon as you began oh, yeah. playing out, right? Absolutely. And yeah. that's really crucial to your development and and your profile i would think like that's how you build you can't like you say if you're an artist and you're just focused in on one let's call them a demographic or one audience Uh, what are you going to do like i mean or not because we were talking about this the other day how you know the music we make seemingly coming from so many different angles that it's a little bit difficult for somebody to be th- put it in a box this and say is this, this. So or let's that. market this. It, yeah. We're we're almost like strangely unmarketable. Yeah, I mean, I was know? I was watching your set last night and thinking that too. Like, what is, what is this? Like, it's very. Which is, I assume that as an artist, that's what you want. You want to try to create something that no one can really pigeonhole. But what are the uh-huh. what are the limitations to that for you? Like, is that is that also problematic? It's very. I mean, it's a big problem <laughs> when you try to put out a record. No, it is. A I problem. mean, it's happened many for times sure. um, where. You know, you go to you approach a label, and they're like, "Oh, this is amazing, but this is just too outside for us. It's too weird." And then that same record, you, you take it to another label, and like, "Oh, this is great. It's too inside. It's just no, too." No. And you know, it's. I hear this from time to time, and I'm not sure what the label is concerned about because, on some level, they're worried about how they're going to promote and market it. So right. that's so when I hear that, I'm like, "Oh, they don't know how the media." is going to process this and right. talk about it, right. which is usually the traditional way of getting the word out. Right. I feel like that sentiment has less to do with the audience and more to do with that niche, that middleman, that middle thing where mm-hmm. how are we going to get a magazine to talk about this? What's the hook? Right. And that's very frightening to me that you wouldn't trust the audience. Like you trust the media's 
reticence to get up behind something mm-hmm. more than you might the audience's willingness to accept it. Because I've like even um, did the band, oh, another band that played with you last night, Esmerine. Right. They just got a European booking agent. Nice. But I know for a fact that when you talk to, they don't have a North American or Canadian booking agent. And I know in my conversations with booking agents about a band like that, they'd be like, I don't know what to do with this. Right. Like right. members of Godspeed, members of the unicorns, like known entities, but I don't know what to do with this music. Mm-hmm. Right. And so again, it's like, it's not the, it doesn't ever seem like it's the audience. It's like, I don't know how to convince a club booker to bring this in. I don't know how to convince a writer to write about this. Right. So I assume you've had that experience. Sure. Sure, <laughs> we've had that experience. And I, I mean, I guess it's, a, it's, again, I think it's a sign of the times that, that it's getting sort of worse in the in the jazz world um, because you are so much of uh, your su- success or p- perceived success is determined upon what music critics write about you. Or social media or whatever. But yeah. You know. And, uh, you know, you don't see that in... Uh, it's not really... Either, you don't see that in the in the rock, in the indie rock world, necessarily. I mean, in other words, you can build your audience and be hugely successful and critics can hate you. Mm-hmm. And that's not a problem. You're still going to be... Right. Oh, like as a rock band. As mean. a rock band, right, yeah. yeah. Right. But in the jazz world... That's harder. I mean, there, there are people who do it, but that's harder to do. Does that speak to... Because one of the things that may, jazz is either... You could either argue it's saddled with or it's maybe bolstered by is intellectualism. Mm-hmm. This kind of... Even you guys are playing the Guelph Jazz Festival and Colloquium. There's an educational, pedagogical aspect to this music festival. It's talking about how improvisation and experimentation is tangible in the real world as right, a right. as an effect of and, and as a thought process sure, sure. so maybe some people are put off by that like jazz is above me so i don't it doesn't hit me on a gut level yeah i mean some people might be i i, I don't feel our music is like that though. i mean i think well i think what's sort of special about music in chicago is that it's, there's a history of of the music having all these elements, not just being intellectual, but being spiritual, mm-hmm. being emotional, um, you know, all that coming together. And I, I mean, that's always what what's interesting to me is that you have these different elements of it. Mm-hmm. I think with the under, we've always been trying to, you know, present all those elements in, in how we present music. Absolutely. And so, yeah, it can be very intellectual, but it can also be not, it can just be completely <coughs> emotional response, you know. Okay. Well, I don't, I'm yeah. not, and by the way, by focusing on jazz, I think most music is very intellectual. I mean, that's how yeah, I yeah, approach sure. it. I think people yeah. are putting a lot of thought into it, but um, I do think that people think of jazz as maybe like snobby people's music, smarter people. I, I was going to say smarter, but that sounded snobby in itself. Yeah. But I think there's this like, feeling that it's higher it's a higher art form and maybe it's not for everyone and it has this inherent elitism but i don't i've attended this jazz festival for almost 20 years yeah. and i've never been to a more open welcoming fe- and, and any jazz festival if i'm in montreal at swanee Pearl popolo or something and the and the music programming is just so all over the place and that to right. me is what brought me to music the idea it could that it could be anything right so i don't know if yeah. well i mean it goes back to the, the the whole question well what 
what really is jazz because people have this idea. You know, people get scared by the the very idea of jazz as being yeah. intellectual or you know. And I I don't I I I, I don't really look at it like that. As, I don't look at jazz as even really being a a genre, simply a genre yeah. of music, but it's more a process. And I think more festivals are looking at it that way that you know you you take these different elements of the unknown and you put them together and create something, you know. Yeah. And and uh, which, is, which seems to be what what the Guelph Festival is, the, the mantra of the yeah. festival. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most good festivals have that. Yeah. yeah. And that really is, that that process. Yeah. You know, there's a history behind that process. It's not that's not something that's new. Right. That's always been no. part of jazz. Can you expand upon that? That history? What do you mean? A well, I just mean uh, the jazz, from the very beginning, jazz was a process. It wasn't simply a genre. From the very beginning, it was people bringing. You know, New Orleans had different elements of music coming together to create something that was unknown. Right. That's all. That's what you mean. That's what I mean. It's a history of, I don't, I feel like experimentation is a terrible term or it's a misused term. Yeah. I'm very trying to be careful of it. But is there is this sense that it's lab work. I, I don't know what this is and we're just going to keep building and trying to make stuff. Mm-hmm. Not formulaic <laughs> lab work, just that's what I think of when I think of jazz. I think of it as freedom and uh, the freedom to to challenge yourself and, and the form constantly. Yeah. And I do you still think that's happening in yeah, contemporary jazz? I, I do, and, I, and again, <coughs> it's 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 uh, bringing different styles together of music. Um, I think that's happening all the time. Yeah. I think it's happening differently than it than it has in the past. But that process is is I think alive and well. So I was watching you guys, and I thought this could play at any festival like this could work at any festival but we are going no i know you're shaking your head you don't think so (laughs) well i mean theoretically i I guess (laughs) really like at any at any music venue at anything like i just think it's it's got enough of something it's not it's not this could this might come off the wrong way i don't think it's something for everyone because that makes it sound like it's almost nothing but i do think that anyone who really loves music at any in any context could relate to what you're doing and that's, I think, a real strength of what you're doing. But we are living in, I don't mean to keep talking about this age we're living in, but there's this backlash now towards these big festivals who are kind of programming everything. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about this open-minded spirit. And um, what's ha- what I've seen is the, like if I consider the Guelph Jazz Festival like a specialty festival or Victoriaville or something right. like that, right. You're seeing the bigger fish, the bigger festivals with the bigger money that will have Radiohead will suddenly book something like Chicago Underground Duo. And then I worry that it's actually causing problems for the niche festivals. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? It's like the specialness of the unique festival has sort of been co-opted right. <laughs> by these bigger festivals that can give you guys you have the money way more play. money to play for 45 minutes before a very general audience. Right, right. So, and I don't know if you've had that experience, but have you... I never really thought of that I before. Mean, a, a little bit, but that's, again, what makes this so special. You know, you, you play a festival like Guelph and, you know, even the way we operate as, as the duo, we've been playing together for 20 years and talking about process and all that, 
you know that type of thing too. It's all it's, it's this social. Uh, I don't know what I'm so where to say. where I'm coming from is this is ultimately I think beneficial for the artists and the music, but the f- but the organizations that have been the early champions right. are suffering now. That's oh, where I'm okay. coming from. So oh, like yeah. we live in Guelph, we've had a couple of really world-renowned music festivals, the Jazz Festival and Hillside. Both have had really tough runs in the last right. few years as there's like every you know, we've talked to, I've talked about this on this show ad nauseum, but there's so many festivals, there's so many choices that people are recoiling a little bit. They're not going to right. anything. There's so many choices everywhere. Right. So yeah. when we have like Esmerine played at the Hillside Festival this summer and at the same time the Jazz Fest, but they first came to Guelph playing the Jazz Festival. Yeah. I'm not casting aspersions on anyone for it, but it does create this like, oh, Esmerine's here all the time. Right. Or sure. or or the Jazz Festival is copying Hillside because Hillside exactly. happened first. No, it's very com- sure. you know, it's competitive. With the, it's with very the competitive yeah. and I and I worry that it's potentially harmful for the, yeah. the core culture. Sure. And yeah, I have I no <laughs> I don't know if you have any comment I on that. It's an observation. I mean we play mostly the you know, festivals more like Guelph than, I mean, we've never played Montreal Festival, we've never yeah. p- played New Orleans Jazz Festival, which is exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, they have everything at that festival. Um, but if they came like calling, that. would you? Sure. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where you're coming from. <laughs> well, what, one must play. Exactly. You know no, I know. It's, you know, I don't know, you know. I haven't played enough of those types of festivals to really. Maybe you have. I don't know. Have you played the bigger the, the bigger things? Uh, I mean, I just played. I just played Newport. Oh. Uh, the jazz fest. The jazz fest, and uh, that was cool. Um. Well, it's a real history. I mean, that's like an iconic. Yeah, no, that one's been going on a long time. Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, it's, a in- it's an interesting uh, point about that i mean i know the you know the bottom line is for for whatever the festival is it has to be successful yeah you know growing the audience and financially you know and so it is competitive yeah and like anything else in the corporate world the bigger things will can swallow up the smaller things i mean that's just how i know and and my concern is primarily about how it might diminish the forms um or or confuse the forms or something but Mm -hmm. i I don't have a real thesis here it's just the thing i've noticed and i'm going through like you're you guys love this guelph jazz festival and you know you've heard what's going on in this the conversations that are happening is this the last one you know our artistic program rajay hebley is stepping down this year and it's in shake and that's where you know these things are literally hitting me at home i'm like i've kind of Surveyed the culture, but but what I what what I like to add is is you know there's always going to be underground culture. Yes, no matter what. So uh, you know it, it, you can't uh, you can't just erase that. Um, In Chicago, you remember when Reed had you know was what was the festival, the the Pitchfork, Mm -hmm. Pitchfork, right? Rock festival, huh? Pitchfork. Yeah, the rock festival. So like the magazines festival, Pitchfork, or yeah. whatever the online. Whatever yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. So Mike Reed was was uh, really the founder yeah. of that festival, but he was also in charge of in the beginning of programming. Uh huh. And this is a big 
big festival. Yeah, it's like thing. one of the biggest uh, yeah. of the year now, yeah. And what happened was, you know, there was board of directors or whatever, and he was constantly fighting with them about, I mean, I guess we really Mike Reed to talk, to talk about this. <laughs> no, I want to hear what but, you say. If it's germane to the conversation, <laughs> it's not you're gossip. Just talking but, about, you're talking about programming. Yeah, no, I'm just yeah. talking about the programming. So anyway, I, you know, I think he he stepped down simply because he 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 could not agree. He he disagreed with how they were um, programming the festival. Because it was becoming way more, you know, just exactly what we were talking about. It's becoming way more conservative and just going with what they knew. Yeah, would be you know. Yeah, because we played the what first or second one. Yeah, we did. And then where he had the main stages, and then or the festival had the. You main played stage. as a duo. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and then. Then we, there's kind of side stage of more experimental music or sure, whatever you whatever want to you call, it. call it. Yeah, and uh, and we played and kicked ass. Oh, and uh, you can say kicked ass. That's good because we did kick ass. <laughs> you can't and, say it and, twice, but anyway, yeah, thanks. I, I, I won't say kick ass <laughs> That's anymore. That's fine. You could say it. <laughs> but 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 we did, and, and of course, once again, there was so many people here that didn't know what they were even gonna but I'm sure we experienced and it was awesome you yeah, know we got a few new fans but anyway that they, they, they decided they did not want to go that direction anymore right so in turn Mike Reed stepped down as the as one of the uh, what he artistic director or whatever yeah sure and then he put his energy into uh, doing his own thing and into uh, constellation, constellation which is this incredible um, performance venues for New music, creative music. So I guess the, the the whole reason I'm saying this is 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 just that I feel like even though these big festivals continue to grow and 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 uh, get more conservative, there's always going to be people who yeah. will <clears throat> create yeah. this when underground some, when something culture. Closes another another door opens because there's too much energy there to for not to. I mean, you continue, Rob. I mean, all, most of your projects have underground in the in the name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is it about the underground that speaks to you? Why Why did you choose to to uh, to take that that moniker? Just originally, it was just you know, music that was slightly more or a lot more on the fringes. You know, yeah, that's all. And you know, but you maintain it. You've had Chicago underground duo, trio, Sao Paulo underground, yeah. underground. That's we, really we got, big. We got Chicago, London underground also coming up. Oh, see, see, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be a new record with Alexander Hawkins and John Edwards on there too. Wow. Um, so yeah. I don't know. For me, it was always meant like at the beginning to like expand on the idea of different pockets of people throughout the world that were interested in in finding new ways of making sound. You know, and. Uh, that's the, you know, that's the, that's the line, right? So, you know, underground is underground. It's you know, this, of course, you can access anything now. So it's yeah. So a lot of people argue, what does that even mean? But um, believe me, we're we're still very much <laughs> underground. <laughs> you, know, <it's, laughs> you know, we're not you know playing stadium shows, although some people are. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Which is awesome to, to to see so i'm curious about where and when and how you two came together how did this happen well i mean i 
I first hired Chad to play with me on a trio gig when he was 16, 14? Six, 16. He was 16 years Wait old. Wait a minute, how old, how old are you, Rob? I'm 51 now. No, no, but okay, how, how old were you at the time that you were recruiting this young uh, boy? I must have been, what, how 30? Old? How old are you? 43. Jesus. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> now we're going back to so. this being old. <laughs> it's fine. We're all... So I must have been like 24, 25. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you, were t- you had 10 yeah. years on him. Okay. So, so yeah. I moved into Chicago when I was 17. And started playing jazz. And was Chad, were you like a prodigy? <clears throat> no, I just sat, I, mean, I was definitely not a prodigy. <laughs> well, he was I, on he was on the on the acoustic guitar actually. Oh, uh, no, I was not a prodigy. I like to play the guitar. I like to play the drums. You know, I no, just he, but he, he I, I guess what for me I just got in by by doing it. You know, Matt Lux, uh, the bassist, sort of introduced me to jazz, and and Fred I just started. Sires. Yeah, and then I just started doing it, and that's how I sort of learned how to how to play, was just playing gigs. At 14, 15, 16, whatever it was. I started when I was, was uh, yeah, 14. That must have been the very first, because a great bass player from Chicago, Dennis Carroll. Oh, right, he's the one who he, introduced He's the one who said, maybe you should try this, this young young dude on the, and when on you the drums. And s- when you say you just got into it, I don't know if it's even possible to be self-taught. Sometimes that comes up on the on the show where someone's like, I just learned it myself. But I'm like, is that, surely you must have seen or watched someone. Maybe you didn't have an instructor. No, no, I wasn't definitely, I mean, I did, I studied uh, percussion in, uh, you know, concert band and at school. And, and, and I also, we actually both went to this jazz school. Bloom School of Jazz. Bloom School of Jazz. Which was a private, like, uh, school in Chicago that centered on, you know, just various concepts of, of how, how to make a solo good and oh, know, okay. concepts on how to uh, construct solos. And, and if you were, so if you were still in the school while Chad was in school, based on the age difference, did you fail a lot, Rob? Is that why you were held back? In uh, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. You're just like we both went to the school. No, it was at different, <laughs> was at different times. This I was, was just making later. a making a, a poorly worded joke. But but, but but I I was I was terrible in high school. Oh, were you? I mean, when I was 14 in high school, I wanted to escape. I hated it and wanted to move to the city. And did you grow up on jazz. the south side of Chicago? I grew up on, in the west suburbs of Chicago. West suburbs. Okay. Yeah. But your family's there now in the yeah, south side. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, the suburbs of Chicago, for me, it was torturous. You know, I. I had just read Dizzy Gillespie's book, To Be or Not to Bop, and a few other books, and they all said, they all did the same thing. They all just moved to to a major city and started playing. So I was like, that's what I wanted to do. But I knew I wanted to do that early, especially after hearing Sun Ra at the Chicago Jazz Fest in 1981. Whoa. Like a kind of defining moment that I, it kind of scared me into wanting to move to the city. When you, when you. That sounds like reverse, but it's true. Oh, really? Uh, you didn't want to be near this dangerous, strange sound? No, I did. Oh. You know, but but I remember being pushed back in my chair and frightened when it, the whole band came running out and fire breathers and, yeah. you know, the African drums and the dancers and the singers. It was really... The spectacle of it all. Unbelievable. Yeah. You know, and then the sound was just... 
I just remember being pinned to my seat the whole time wow. and, and thinking, wow, I want to do that. <laughs> you know, Chad, did you have a similar kind of epiphany seeing someone? Um, no, my, my epiphany, I, w- I was a classical guitar major and I was in school I, I went, when I was 18 and I just, I sort of had a meltdown where I couldn't, I just couldn't play that sort of music anymore. So I stopped going to all my classes and I put on, I went to the library and just listened to records. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good, and I put on this Henry Threadgale recording. Um, trio air with Steve McCall and Fred Hopkins and that was just a life changing experience I was like okay I gotta get out of here I'm doing the wrong thing it's time to focus on the drums (laughs) and then I transferred to uh, go to school at the new school in New York and would would you what precipitated the meltdown exactly Uh, that's a good question I think uh, for me it was playing Music was not being able to interpret it the way that I that I wanted to. I was I re- I was sort of self taught on guitar, and uh, you know I had a teacher, but I I I, I was very ambitious. I put it that I, I was definitely not a prodigy, but I was very <laughs> I was very ambitious with what I was playing. Right. So when I went to school, my teachers were like, you know, you're doing this. You can't just. Um, Interpret this passage that way. You 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 have to stick more to to how it's written, and you know you shouldn't be slowing this down. You shouldn't be speeding this up. You know that sort of thing. And it really got to my head because that's the exact opposite of the way I was thinking playing jazz music. And you know, I just froze. I remember it was at one moment I was playing a, a. Recital. We had to play recitals like twice a month, and I just froze on the stage. I couldn't. I had the music right in front of me, and it just went blurry. Huh. I couldn't move my hands. You know, I just stage fright. Um, yeah, it could have been stage fright, but it was more. It just had to do with with the sort of uh, just feeling like I could not. I didn't have the freedom to play the music the way I wanted to. Yeah, and I, I want to ask about that because, Rob, you mentioned that you, you didn't do so well in high school and, you know, you're talking about freedom and, and feeling choked by what you were up to. Is your relationship to jazz in any way related to your relationship with authority? 
with parameters? I think pr probably, yeah. I mean, you know, I like I said, I absolutely, completely felt I was in a prison-type situation when I was at this West Suburban school, you know. And uh, I was the only one in there that wanted to do do this, you know, make creative music, you know, improvise, you know. And it seemed like everything around me was completely and utterly, you know, opposed to that. So any kind of free thinking or idea or whatever was crushed by just like, you know, this is what you have to do in order to get to B, you know, you have to finish A, you know. And uh, I think I, I kind of learned early on that you, you don't have to start at A to get to B. You can start at Z and go backwards. Or right, or and that's a big or moment. Or use a different bird. alphabet or, <laughs> or whatever, you know. And it was good to kind of realize that early on, but it was really stifling to realize that and still know that I had two more years in this place that I basically spent half of those two years in detention, you know, from basically doing nothing wrong, just wanting to not do what they wanted me to do. I was going to ask if, if, if this, if this uh, mindset manifested itself in any other ways. Like, did you guys get in trouble? Were you like, if, if you have this streak of rebelliousness in you? Oh, I got in a lot of trouble, sure. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Serious trouble? No, not serious trouble, but, you know, enough to drive my folks nuts. Jail know? time? No. And, uh, <laughs> jail time? <laughs> no, no, no jail time. <laughs> but maybe close, you know, I but, uh, no, I just wanted to get out of there. I didn't, you know, yeah, it was just horrible. Yeah, so. I can I can see where you're coming from. Chad, did you, did you get along well with uh, like your parents? Did you get along well with authority figures generally? Yeah, I actually, I, I was, it wasn't until, I was sort of a, uh, pretty obedient man. you seem like a, you seem like a good boy yeah i mean i was until i, I went be, to new york new york should have new york should have messed me up for a don't while <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's funny just thinking I, I was so years later um you know i stopped playing guitar just immediately after that experience happened and focused on the drums and years later i was in new york and i started working with mark rebo and then I, one day I heard a solo show he was doing. Yeah, which are I've I've seen a couple of those. They're unbelievable. And he was playing, you know, some of this classical material that I that I used to play on guitar, and completely doing what I, you know, it was like this complete <laughs> epiphany. I was like, How you know, Mark, if play? I would have heard you when I was young, I would have never switched to the drums. I would I would still be a guitar huh. player because he was doing exactly what I wanted to do, but thought that you weren't allowed to do, which was you right. know, play right. these classical pieces and then just improvise off of them. Right, you know? right. So, so you might have taken a different I route. might have taken a different route if I would have heard. <laughs> that might have been, been a good idea, but I don't know. Well, let's, I mean, have you ever thought about, uh, do you break out the guitar? Uh, it's too late now. It's just too oh. Do you ever play? He, he, no, I don't. He, you don't noodle around at home. No, I use it for sometimes you I use it to write it. to compose, but I don't. I don't actually. And it's on a one. couple of Chicago underground duo records. Take just a little bit. Just <laughs> I find that Rob says stuff, and Chad's always like, "Hey, dial it back." You know, this you is gotta, the dynamic. You gotta, you gotta keep it, keep it real. You know <laughs> That's always been sort of a. I remember in in uh, when we first started introducing electronics to the music. I mean, Rob was really pushing for that. I meant direction. to ask. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, like, yeah. when did that yeah. happen? Chad was fairly opposed to it. I was very opposed to it. I was like, no. Why? Said, 
I just wasn't comfortable with it. It was, it was, uh, I wasn't used to it. I didn't know how to play with it. And Rob, uh, you know, he kept pushing it. And well, I was deep into music concrete and, yeah. you know, all different kinds of, you know, the sounds coming out in those 90s, whether it was Autac or Aphex Twin or, you know, Plex Cuba, you know, all that cool, Nuno Cannavaro, all, all that kind of stuff. And I don't think you were didn't know that stuff. So when I started introducing it and thinking about it, um, Chan was like, I don't, I don't think you had a reference point I didn't. No, I didn't. At the beginning. <laughs> no, but then, then you started getting into it, and I started yeah. saying things like, you know, well, this Sun Ra record has this incredible Moog solo. Check it out, or whatever. And um, slowly. Uh, were you partially... I think, right? partially yeah, yeah, sure. Were you partially, Chad, averse to this notion of incorporating these things because they were non-traditional? That, uh, well, I mean, I think... The mantra, if we were to have a, a mantra, it would be no fear. Yeah. And it took us a while, I think, us both to really get to that place. And I, I, I was fear, I was fearful of just not having done it before, not knowing how people would react to it, not not knowing how to play with it, you know? Yeah. And hurting once his ears on the monitor. Exactly. But then once once we started getting into it, I you know I I, I love it. I don't I don't know uh, how we could ever go back. You both have these yeah. boxes on stage with you. You have a is it a sampler or a drum machine? You have an SPX. Yeah, I have a sampler. Sampler. Sampler that's mostly loaded with stuff off my modular synth. Right. Yeah. And and what did you have? I didn't. I I didn't. Even, I just had a. My Ambira going through a ring modulator. I mean, sometimes. What does that? What does that mean? What does that do? It's uh, it it changes the uh, frequency. And uh, of the of the Ambira, so I can make it sound very electronic. Oh, just the one. Okay, your whole yeah. kit is not included. No, no, it's oh, just okay. I wasn't the, sure. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Although sometimes I'll you know I'll take the mic off of stuff what I'm doing and hold it up to the drums and all that kind of stuff. So, right. You know. And I mean, this what this does is you guys are a two-piece, you're a duo. Oddly enough, the Chicago Underground duo are two people. But you've got all these machines that make you seem bigger yeah. than that. Well, we've, we've always been into texture yeah. quite a bit and yeah. density and sound. And But, you know, we're just as much into playing absolutely acoustic and playing ancient melody, you right. know what I'm saying? Right. So, or, or ancient sounding melody. But to have to have and what Chad said before about feeling you know having no fear and just being able to I feel like we've only reached that point recently in the last couple of years although we've been playing together for 20 years right you know and still searching for this kind of freedom which within the freedom of what we're doing so when you I think when you start getting into focusing on the freedom within the freedom of what you're doing, then maybe something is starting to happen. Right. So we'll see the, these next 20 years. You, know. you guys, <laughs> you, you've hinted a little bit about, or, or Chad was talking about the history of music in Chicago and what it's like to play there. And maybe I think you were kind of hinting at what the community is even like there. Uh, we kind of jumped around a little bit, but you started off saying, you know, you met Chad when you were hooked up with Chad and, and then you guys started playing together. Can you recall Chicago at that time 
uh, in comparison to now. I know you, but you're both not there anymore, which is you got to change that name. I don't. I think that's a misnomer. <laughs> having no, Chicago I mean, in there, but look, look at Art Ensemble of Chicago. That's right. Yeah, group like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, there is a feeling of representing the city because that was the meeting place, right? Yeah. And and that's well, it's just not the meeting place. It, it's where all our you know that's where we're coming from. That's our inspiration and uh, all your changes were there and all. <laughs> a lot of the formative years were there, yeah. you know, and drawing off that and still drawing off of that. Right. So even with Chad moving to New York, you were coming back quite a bit to play. Yeah. But Chicago, Chicago has been this epicenter of political discussion, socio-cultural discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, our pre- your I almost said our president because he almost feels like ours. Your your our, your president Obama oh, from okay. Chicago. At the same time, uh, Chicago has been talked about as a very dangerous place. Um, and so when I a- and I don't know when did you both move? You you've been around. You left Chicago years ago, right, Rob? Uh, no, I, I mean I lived in Chicago until 2000, and in 2000 to 2008 I lived in Brazil. Right. In 2009 to you know six months ago I lived back in Berwyn, which is just south of Chicago. Okay, so you were in the area, yeah. Yeah, okay. and now now I live in Marfa, Texas, but, you know, I was in and out of there. Quite know, a bit, yeah. Know. And Chad, you're in Philly now? I'm in Philly, yeah. And but you I, were in New York for a while. Yeah, I was like 20 years in New York. But, you know, I lived... So I left uh, Chicago in 91, and then I moved back to Chicago in 97, was there from 97 to 2001. Okay, so but, r- relatively recent. Yeah, but you know, I think w- what happened in Chicago, unfortunately, it's not. It's happened in, in a lot of cities. Is you know, neighborhoods get um, dispersed, and you know, it's just it's what happens when gentrification happens. Um, so, I lived on the north side next to Cabrini Green. And you know the the which was uh, you know one of the projects in Chicago, yeah. so that got eliminated totally, completely, completely. But you know those people have to go somewhere. They got displaced. They have to, you know so yeah. where do you go? Well, th- there was no place to go in the city anymore that's affordable. So people, you know, can, whole communities are having to move one from one place into another place. So of course that's going to cause, you know, some tension yep. and and friction, yeah. and I just don't think that's really talked about that much, in at least you know in the media or whatever. Yeah. But I that was a big problem that that happened all throughout Chicago. That's a you're touching upon real estate development kind of stuff there, but the the, the generally the people that had to move are marginalized people to begin with, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So does it, when you go there now, does it feel different? Because one of the things we're confronted with, at least according to the news, is that it's it's a very volatile and dangerous place. Well, I think, well, I mean, there's a lot of different ways of looking at that. Um, one thing, and this is, all, this is the, the very nature of how Chicago was designed you know, was to keep neighborhoods in certain places. Right. You know, and what has happened is is that uh, 
what I've noticed over the last, I don't know, 10 years is now you you can, you can no longer be poor and afford to live in what most people think of as Chicago. And what that means, too, is that you can come into Chicago, you can come to Chicago and not even realize that there are all these other communities that are around you. Yeah. I mean, most people do mm-hmm. because they're, you know, they're far out in in the away from the uh, center. Right. So there, it's not even, you're, you're not quite describing suburbs anymore though, are you? Suburbs has this kind of quaint, bucolic, they're not suburbs. No, so. this, this is inner city stuff, inner city. Yeah, I don't want to call it, it's not suburbs, it's just boroughs or whatever you want to call it. Places you know. that are further out, further out from the, yeah, yeah, where yeah. everything's yeah. happening. Right. And so, I mean, the real, the real irony is all these people Talking about oh Chicago's so dangerous blah, blah blah you know they never even see that Chicago they never there's no need for them to ever go to that part yeah. of Chicago because the way the city is designed now is that they don't have to yeah you never have to you see don't have you'll never have to see that well I mean which is what, what makes me angry because you, you know need, you need to see it you need to see it to really understand you know. what is what's going on yeah. Yeah. well and maybe this sounds conspiratorial and nutty. But I actually wonder if the vilification of Chicago actually has something to do with the narrative around President Obama. I've actually been thinking about that a lot lately because I didn't hear about Chicago's issue. I mean, I knew it was it, it had I knew it had issues, but mm-hmm. but the way that we hear about Chicago, the way yeah. Chicago is politicized, yeah. as everyone by the same people who criticize this president. Yeah, yeah, I, could, uh, they could, they could I wonder about that. Does that make me sound like a lunatic? Like no, a paranoid no, no, guy. Forever since we've been there, there's always been gang violence. Yes, and gang shootings. Yeah, it didn't happen every summer. Same thing. Gang warfare, every, for, forever. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if it's technically more or less than it was 20 years ago, but it's probably close to the same. Well, I, I mean, I, I had um, I had uh, Doug McCombs and John McIntyre on the show mm-hmm. uh, talking about The Last Tortoise Record, and they uh, had just very matter-of-fact discussions about being near gun violence, like loading their gear in, bullets whizzing by them. Yeah, sure, their rehearsal space is in a slightly volatile area. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the fact that it's sort of normalized for the people there, and, you know, Doug said something like, okay, like he ducked, and then was it stopped, and he's like, okay, I'm going to keep going to the bank. i got to keep going and doing all my uh, errands today. Uh, Which was insightful for me, uh, because I want, and I've also had, like, Mick Jenkins, a hip-hop artist from there, say, ah, it's not as bad as what you're hearing. Like, it's really uh, not as bad. So, I mean, again, you've been in and out of the city for a while, and maybe it's not fair for you to be able to, or to try to comment on it, but I, I do wonder about the city, and I, I care about that city. I, a lot of my favorite stuff is from Chicago. Sure, yeah. It's dangerous, but any place is dangerous. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I feel more in danger when I'm walking through Naperville, you know? Like <laughs> yeah. I keep talking about the suburbs of sh- Chicago, like these places that are like fairy tale land that, yeah, you know, yeah seemingly perfect but then all of a sudden you 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 know hear horrendous things on the news also in places like that you know and it's like i don't know man it you know i don't think i lived in sao paulo for two years and yeah it's one of the they say it's one of the most 
dangerous places on earth, you know. I never had a problem there. Even Manaus, when I lived in the Amazon, was a very crazy, insane <laughs> city that had all kinds of, you know, lawless behavior going on. But, you know, in the States, that's, that's all you hear on the news. I, I lived with my father um, in Bristol, which is also a suburb of Chicago, for, for a couple of years when me and my wife were looking for a house and this whole thing. And, you know, I would wake up every, because he was a, he, he wanted to listen to the news every morning, you know. So that's kind of how I w would wake up every morning. And every single morning, he'd turn on that TV. And I, I, I swear, every single, I would just go and get my cup of coffee. And every, the news was like, welcome to the news today. So-and-so was killed in, you know, a thing and you know so and so was raped and so and so was like you know maimed in a thing and the first five minutes of every single broadcast every single morning of every single day started out with this catastrophic you know stuff fear mongering uh, yeah fear and a lot about Chicago so it was like to the point was like okay be careful when you go into the city and it's like yeah yeah I've lived in the city for twenty years and it's like it it's it's not. You, you have to turn that off. No, I that's just, not the reality. I know, you know? there's a nefarious a slight, aspect slight, to that you know? reporting, too, and I can't... I never I'm know. sure it's, it happens everywhere. So it does, and know. I mean, people have pointed it out, too. Like, there's just constantly fear-mongering. Yeah, you, mm -hmm. nothing nothing about the good stuff at all. You get no. one second of a cute kitten or something, and it's like, right. that's all you get. Right. <laughs> Speaking of uh, uh, fear-mongering, cute kittens, I would probably be remiss if I didn't ask you both about the political landscape right now. It's catastrophic, man. I, I have never seen anything like it, and I, I, no matter what happens in your election, I think uh, you're in a bit of trouble, right? Well, you know, Chad has a lot to say about this. <laughs> I, th I thought the worst we could ever possibly do in my, in my lifetime was, you know, the Bush administration. Yeah. And th but, but there and is a sense of... It being surreal because, you know, when that was all going down with Bush, oh. you know, it's the exact same feeling of like, oh, this is impossible. This, there's no way there's this no can way actually be happening. Elected. There's yeah. no way. Do you mean when he was first elected? Both, both times. Right. Both, right. both times. Right. How can this guy? How can this is impossible? Right. And, it's the, and here we are, you know, whatever, eight years later, and it's the exact same thing. Right. Like, how well, is this? 16 years later. Oh. Well, yeah. Sure. How can this actually be happening? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but it, but it's it's nothing new. It's the powers that be, you know, corporate money. You know, it's all money deciding the election. You know, you had Bernie Sanders in there, which of course we were super rooting for, and it almost seemed possible. Yeah, you know, it did. That you get For someone in there that's not not only is completely into uh, the people and changing the system, but has a, a a lifelong history of doing that, you know? Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of uh, excitement around that, but, you know, there's no way the Clintons were going to, you know, let that happen. So they crushed that situation mm. with massive money as well, and the whole Trump phenomenon was just a circus. Yeah. It's, it's really... Uh, uh, but it's also maybe for the first time really showing the face of not only racism, but, you know, 
the, the social problems that exist really um, strongly in, in, in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I was, talk, I was talking to my mom a couple of days ago about this, and the thing that she pointed out to me, my, my grandmother, before she passed away, she worked in, in the lunchroom, like in the cafeteria of a school. And this was, so we're talking about like in the 90s. She was she was getting paid seven and she, this was in Romulus outside of Detroit. She was getting paid seventeen dollars an hour, which wow. that's that's that, really good. That is good. Okay, yeah. that same job now, uh, if you're doing that, you get paid eleven dollars an hour. Right. right. And so what I think it has happened. I mean, the whole reason why th- this whole Trump, you know, phenomenon his his has happened is because people are just, they're like, why, you know, who took our jobs away? You know, why is this happening? They need to blame somebody. Yeah. And, you know. Whoever's currently in charge. Yeah. And, and. Well, it's not just who's in charge. It's like a whole yeah, demographic. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Of people. Right. You know, who've taken our jobs and we got to make America great again. So, you know, but I mean. And I, it's hard for us to relate to that because we, we've gotten paid the same amount of money for like 30 years. <laughs> for, for, for probably, yeah, 10 we years. Get, we get the same amount of money forever. <laughs> which, is, which is perfectly fine, I guess. But it's, you know. We've gotten used to it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Uh, I want to... <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's so much we, 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 I regret that we haven't gotten to because you're both amazing players. We haven't really talked about your approaches and techniques, but I think uh, in order to wrap it up, uh, you know, you've got Locus that came out last year as, as a, right. a group. Yep. Uh, Chad, do you have do you have a Mark Rabot record coming out or something? Are you no, performing that record, no, no, nothing on... Uh, uh, you know, we did a live at the Vanguard. That was that was. Oh, okay. Last year, yeah, nothing. Okay. Nothing new. What's What's new for you both? If you want to share what's coming up. Well, we got the Ch- Chicago London Underground thing that's coming out on Cuneiform in. Uh, I think it's coming out in January. Oh, great! Beginning of the year, we we played a cafe auto in uh, in London a couple months ago, and we invited Alexander Hawkins and John Edwards to play with us, and it really really set it off at that performance so that's going to be released nice um there's going to be a new sao paulo underground record called cantos and visa vice which is coming out next month oh geez i didn't know that yeah that's coming out i'll send you a copy thank you and uh a couple months ago the uh, i made a record with emmett kelly yes singer from cairo gang and with will oldham and uh you know that's a very interesting record called alien flower sutra that that came out and uh, a few other things coming out next year you know. amazing that's great and you just keep on keeping on yeah we're, we're, we're you know you gotta keep it rocking man that's the, <laughs> that's the only way to go no fear and you'll play anywhere so Bonnaroo Coachella whoever's listening all we're those waiting, big we're, we're waiting for those but you know they'll come I hope so man. I hope so too nice. anywhere and everywhere is there a duo record of, or a duo song rather of some kind, or I don't know what you have uh, available from the newer stuff you're talking about? But is there something we can go out on, either from Locus or something else? Uh, sure. I mean something uh, off of Locus. Pretty much anything on there is. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. What about the song we n- we never played yesterday? Yeah, yeah, Cole. 
Yeah, Yaya Cole. Yaya Cole was a good Why did that choice. come to mind just now? Just because he didn't play it. Uh, yeah, because I, I was set up for like playing it last he, night. He, he, he looked over and was like, let's play Yaya Cole. And uh, it seemed to, seems to have slipped out of my sampler. Oh, so <laughs> you couldn't do it. We couldn't so do it, so yeah. we, we moved to something else, which was uh, a surprise. But okay. Also wonderful. Well, for what it's worth, I just want to tell you, and I know we didn't talk that much about your playing. You're amazing people. Thank I mean, you. I love watching you play. It's life-changing. If anyone can see you guys play, I urge you to do it. Because I'm a drummer, and I can't, I can't even fathom what you do on some yeah. level. I mean, I can. It's not rocket science. I just backtracked <laughs> on my compliment. No, it's <laughs> remarkable. The two of you are... We're so lucky that you... I'm so lucky that you're, you're able to come to this tiny little town that I live in. So thank you for coming to Guelph. Well, thanks to thank the festival. I, ho- I hope town. this isn't the last time. No, and I hope, <laughs> I hope you get to come back uh, very soon. And, uh, and all th- Oh, and before, b- b- just before I go, I know I, that would have been an, an amazing note to go out on, but is there a place to find you guys online? I just thought of that. Uh, Northern Spy Records. No, Cuneiform Records. Cuneiform Records, We'll have okay. new information on us and... We have stuff on uh, Northern Spy. You know, we have stuff on uh, just our websites and whatever. Okay. You know. All right. Rob, Chad, thank you for being on my show. And, uh, you know, obviously best of luck with everything. And, and good luck with your election because that's not going to be a good situation. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. But you know, you got to keep strong and keep rocking it. Yeah. All right. Underground. Underground. <laughs> underground. Super underground. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.
their latest album Locust that was Chicago underground duo with Yaya Cole and I would like to thank Chad Taylor and Rob Mazurik again for making time to be on this show they are two of my favorite people in the whole world and wonderful musicians and uh, obviously very thoughtful guys too so thank you if you haven't uh, heard of Chicago underground duo or Rob Mazurik or Chad Taylor go seek all of their work out it's 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 amazing the stuff I've heard they're hard to keep up with they're very prolific but everything I've heard I'm just like wow I'm gonna join you in tracking down everything I've just decided that as I said this because I don't want to seem like a shoddy crappy salesman I, I I'm not I mean it uh, let's all go get all their stuff because it's all good hey this is the 285th episode of Creative Control with Vishkana which you can learn more about on iTunes, audioboom.com, or my website, vishkana.com. On my website, you can uh, visit uh, a link there to go to my Patreon page, patreon.com, Creative Control of Vishkana, somewhere in there, but there's a link on my website, and you can make a flexible monthly donation to keep this show, this podcast version of this show, going. So please support the podcast by making a monthly flexible donation, and uh, send me a note I will respond. Email me, creativecontrol933 at gmail.com or, or uh, via Facebook or something. You, you can find me. Oh, yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Creative Control is on Facebook. Twitter, at Vish Creative or at Vish Kana. And a, a version of this show airs every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time at CFRU.ca around the world or in the area at CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph. This show would not be possible. None of these shows would be possible without the kind support of The Bookshelf, which is a a bar, a restaurant, a bookstore, a movie cinema, a music venue. They do lots of stuff. They're at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Go to their uh, website for their hours, listings, blogs, directions, and accessibility. The website, bookshelf.ca. Also, for the best pizza in Guelph, Ontario, Pizza Trocadero, located at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph. You can learn more about them at trocaderoguelph.ca. 
Call them for pickup or delivery at 519-829-2444. That's the show. Thank you. See you next week. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.